Welcome ravenous readers and culture consumers to Bohemian Geek Studies. The place where nerdy knights gather together to flatten the curve and share our insatiable thirst for intellectual discussions about our favorite books, shows, and movies. My name is Sarah O'Connor, queen of queries, lady of literature, and defender of droids. And I'm Will Lee, grammarian inquisitor, lord charcuterie, and keeper of lengthy records. And I'm Flo, ambassador from Naboo, Chudley Cannon's aficionado and manager of Mischief. Now, as a friendly disclaimer, each episode of BGS is meant to be enjoyed by everyone, but we encourage you to listen to the episode first without younglings present to make sure it's right for the whole family. Last week, we focused on the parent-teacher dynamic with a particular influence on independent learning in light of the coronavirus pandemic and parent-teacher conferences. Woot woot! And this week, we're going to dive back in and explore the theme of making friends and preparing for war with Matilda in Chapter 10 and Chapter 11. Flo, what time is it? Oh, it's time to throw the hammer down! What, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and prepare for war. (laughs) Oh, that too. Just that too. Just that too. Yeah. In Chapter 10, we see Matilda meet and make new friends like Lavender, unconfirmed last name Brown, in light of their shared gutsy and adventurous spirits. As compelling as prison yard scenes in the Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption, we watch these two fierce warriors meet veteran-in-arms, 10-year-old Hortensia, who shares Matilda's love of chemical warfare, as Hortensia regales the younger students with past battles fought, and perhaps a tall tale or two about the Trunchbull and the terrible Chokey device. And though Hortensia doubts Matilda's prowess, readers don't make the same mistake recognizing that Matilda is doing what she does best, gathering intel before calling the banners to wage open war against a most formidable foe. And then in chapter 11, Matilda and Lavender learn even more about their new school, of the generational divide between students who see firsthand the wrongs Trunchbull is committing and whether parents will act if they learn the truth. Spoiler alert, they won't. All hope is not lost as 11-year-old expert cake eater Bruce Bogtrotter devours an insanely large cake to the rallying cheers of fellow classmates who really needed a win for the kids. 10 points to House Hufflepuff for Bogtrotter's valiant deed. Perfect. With that excellent summary in mind, let's explore some of the most pertinent passages in Chapter 10, entitled Throwing the Hammer, and Chapter 11, Bruce Bogtrotter and the Cake. To begin talking about the theme of making friends and preparing for war, let's first consider the opening to chapter 10. The nice thing about Matilda was that if you had met her casually and talked to her, you would have thought she was a perfectly normal five and a half year old child. She displayed almost no outward signs of her brilliance and she never showed off. Tis a very sensible and quiet little girl, you would have said to yourself. And unless for some reason you had started a discussion with her about literature or mathematics, you would have never known the extent of her brain power. Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of what we talked about last episode about the quiet but brilliant people. And and maybe it's me being a little jealous, but I was like, my reaction was, is this really common? And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I was a smart kid in grade school, um, not like Matilda, but I had a terrible time time like a hard time making friends like i was it was just super awkward um i wasn't popular i didn't have an easy time connecting with other kids so my first reaction to this was that this feels very rare that matilda's this brilliant as well as this personable 
the the quote children of their age do not search deeply for reasons doll writes to explain matilda's brilliance but i was again i was like really uh, yeah i mean my my experience with kids as a kid and now having a kid is that kids are always questioning they're always they're always frankly forming cliques and kind of separating themselves out even at an early age so i don't know what do you guys think yeah i i really felt so relieved that you highlighted both of these passages will because i had the same questions first uh, the idea that a children's book author would say children don't search deeply for reasons within a book that's designed to almost inspire them sounded a little almost tongue-in-cheek and double dog dare you if you will because my initial reaction both when i was a kid and rereading it now was like oh yeah doll let let me show you what's up like i got hortensia over here i got matilda over there we're gonna we're gonna figure out something with these lysol and toilet paper rolls or something (laughs) (laughs) but like Flo, i've been out of the hard knocks of school for a long time. What's it like on the in the streets of uh, school these days? On the mean streets of first grade, it's not at all like this at all. Uh, yeah, no kids who are super smart or like super into like nerdy things. Even in first grade, there's a click for that, and yeah. it's not the cool mm-hmm. click. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, like Will, I was really smart. Um, not again, Matilda smart. I did have friends, but like a very well, first grade, I was okay, like, because I was the new kid in first grade, but it wore off really fast. I mean, by, like, fifth grade, I was a total loser, um, which is fine. Like, I had my own friends, but kids do notice that stuff, and they don't really appreciate brilliance in the way that maybe adults do. They just think it's weird. Oftentimes, kids who are really, really smart can't relate to kids on a kid level. Exactly. And yeah. those kids often spend their recesses talking to me. Um which is nice. Yeah. Also, like, I've got stuff to do. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I I definitely felt what you guys were feeling. I always had cooties, no matter how many cootie uh-huh. shots I took. It was it was tough. <laughs> circle, circle, dot, dot. dot, dot. Yeah. No matter how we many cootie that. shots I had them. I had them. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. In second grade, I, like, ran around, and my big heartthrob was uh, Dimitri from the animated anastasia oh (laughs) yeah yeah he's a looker oh definitely so i would just run around the playground hugging poles and calling them dimitri so i didn't have a lot of friends (laughs) well unlike us apparently at least we're united in this matilda definitely has a superb disposition for making friends and crunchum hall students like her are raring for a flippin fight So without further ado, why don't we take a detailed dorky dive to meet our hard knock gal, Hortensia. So let's talk some stats. Age, 10 years old, gender, feisty female, physical characteristics, rugged with a blemish on her nose that is ultimately viewed as a badge of courage by Matilda and Lavender. Likes include potato chips, chemical warfare, telling tales, recruiting new young blood for the cause for probably undercover work since Hortensia kind of thinks that she knows what's going on with five years, six years, the senior, to Matilda and Lavender, dislikes obviously the trunchbull, the chokey, and closing her mouth when eating, 
And her rap sheet includes repeated trips to the chokey if she's to be believed. Strengths include tenacity, clever thinking, and she's frankly a likely investor in Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Weapon of choice, skin scorcher. Man, doll really messes with you, right? He likes those. Yeah, it's a skin scorcher trying to say it. An itching powder that causes welts the size of walnuts to be put in underwear. And her role is the welcome committee to the borstal of Crunchum Hall. And I had no idea what a borstal was. Well, that brings us to our vocab moment for chapter 10. A borstal is the British and British Empire version of juvenile detention. So Hortensia is literally saying, welcome to juvie, which is pretty hardcore. (laughs) (laughs) It's not what you want to hear. It's really not. Uh -uh. It's also interesting that she would use that phrase as Sarah's research and mine, really not mine, or Will's research. I don't know who's (laughs) research. It's Google. It's it's Google. (laughs) All right. So it's also interesting that she would use that phrase as Google tells us that Borstol's were phased out in Britain and India by the mid 20th century, but it probably would have still been in the vocabulary at the time. And maybe Hortensia was showing off a little, something like the sixties version of a meme, seeing if the kids can get the reference, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's like, see, see if you're really cool or not. You're in the ins. Yeah. And the chap in the chapter, uh, like Trunchbull, Hortensia is described as seeming like a giant. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really like this, too, because it really puts things in perspective, because when you're when you're Matilda and Lavender's age, uh, everybody's a giant, you know, whether it's Trunchbull or or this 10 year old who's who's just a few grades above you. And I just love this perspective, which reminds us that there's so many wondrous things to small children. And we just lose that sight and perspective when we grow up. I love how off kids can be about an adult's age. I find it to be so flipping adorable. Like, are you 13? Nah, I'm 33. How about you there? Well, I'm seven. Are you sure? And it's like, it's, it's so, so cute. Flo, have your students ever guessed at your age? Yeah, so my birthday is in like mid-September. And so my birthday is usually the first that we celebrate in my classroom. And so that's usually how I teach them like our birthday celebration routine. Yeah. And so I always ask them like, how old do you think I'm turning? And it really ranges from like 20 to like 67. (laughs) All right, no, I'm 29, but thanks. And to kind of move the topic forward, I really liked how Dahl quite subtly gave an important lesson in listening and reserving judgment until further information is gained. Because as Matilda and Lavender meet Hortensia for the first time, they're, you know, she's telling these huge, horrible stories about kids being carried out in stretchers, screaming, being locked in the chokey. And, and Dahl writes very interestingly quote being very small they were inclined to mistrust any creature that was larger than they were especially senior girls and so put that gender disclaimer aside it's really interesting that on the one hand doll seemingly gives kids little to no credit about being interested in the world around them and yet in literally the same chapter saying yo small kids 
ask questions. Don't just believe yarns you're being told. It's it really is a very interesting meta advice for I, I'll never get over that from a kid's book author. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And just to throw something in here that I just thought about, um, the part about don't trust the senior girls or senior boys or senior any anybody in your school, it reminds me of, so it, this is probably something from Dahl's own experience in boarding school, mm -hmm. uh, because in one of his books, I forget which one it is now, he writes about basically uh, seniors would basically t take the younger kids under, not exactly under their wing, but actually would pick them to to basically warm up the outhouses for them to like go out oh and, nice. and and sit on the outhouse and one of the seniors i think they were called bozers or prefects or one of those and was like you have a warm butt i like you and so wow. this, this is definitely from dolls like past so this is this is him like telling the truth here and and again i'm gonna go out on a limb float to the best of your knowledge, this is not a current practice in the school system. I can neither confirm nor deny the existence <laughs> of toilet warmers. <laughs> I will say, like, that's actually nicer hazing than what we did in my high school. My sister was a freshman when I was a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we had Freshman Friday, which was, like, the first Friday of the year. And the seniors would, like, egg the freshmen. The worst thing that we did was put mayo oh, in people's ears, which oh. was... <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know i'll sit on a toilet that's fine that seems safe yeah, i'll take that over mayo totally. yeah i would definitely sit on a toilet before allowing someone to well i guess you don't allow excuse me sir do not pull this prank on me that's yeah. not how that works I never mind consent for this prank <laughs> yeah exactly um i did want to give a head nod to our prior episode discussing the trunchbull's gender identity where the Trunchbull is compared to the Prince of Darkness, which is like very Snape-like, which yeah. I'm super into, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the Foul Serpent. So I'm going to say, Sarah, that if your hypothesis, which is coming later to be discussed, is true, I'm going to say Trunchbull Slytherin. Yeah, right. I mean, uh. it's got to be, right? Yeah, I uh yeah, we'll we'll um I guess stay in your seats folks. We'll get there in a second, but mm -hmm. but for now what's interesting is Hortensia who's this guide in the play yard, she says, "Quote, she was the only person in the whole school who realized what was happening in Trunchbull's pants." And Will, you did a little bit of digging on this one because mm -hmm. I frankly, you think after we flagged this so many times, I thought it was so cool that you're like, oh, wait, hold on. There's something more to uncover here. So what have commenters been saying about this? Yeah, so so I can't take credit for this. Um, this is something that various commentators online have, have have said about this, knowing what we've what we've highlighted before about uh, Miss Trunchbull's gender presentation as a woman who doesn't outwardly uh, present herself as feminine or dress in feminine garb and, and with trans issues, um, people have highlighted that uh, Hortensia, um, when she's talking about what's happening in Trunchbull's pants, when in the text it refers to this prank that she's playing, actually in the bigger picture, it reads a lot more uncomfortably. And I haven't seen any indication that Dahl intended this for, uh, to be such a such a, a gendered um, 
comment um, and such an uncomfortable comment, um, but it really is impossible to read that now and not think about it that way. Of course, that being said, I never read it that way, you know, un- until we started uh, kind of thinking about it in this ways and in these ways, and it gives you a whole other perspective, even if it's not what the author intended. It's really something to think about. Yeah, I I think that's really cool the transitive properties of art as societies you know go through different phases and knock on everything around you get more progressive and more accepting about particular things because my reading now i i i like the additional layer there i think it adds an additional complexity that is important for us to probe which i guess is why we're doing it eh? exactly (laughs) On a lighter note, I do want to share a story about itching powder. Yes, please. Yeah. Before we get to tinfoil, hit us with that itching powder. Yes, please. I just want to give a shout out to my dad. Dad, if you're listening, I have not forgotten the time where you thought it would be hilarious at my sister's 10th birthday to put itching powder on my chair. (gasps) And I had an allergic reaction to it. And I spent (sighs) the entire night crying in my bed because my skin was burning off. Thanks, Dad. I haven't forgotten. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Now, did you ever pull a Matilda or do you not want to go on record about any alleged retaliation that did or did not occur as a result? I think it is safer for me to not divulge this on the air. (laughs) I think that is wonderful to leave as a tinfoil hat theory as we transition to talk about our tinfoil theory that we've mentioned a little bit and that's pretty much is Cruncham Hall a theater school for Hogwarts so this has been one of those tinfoil theories that Will and I had started talking about way like actually now months ago months months ago yeah. months 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 ago and it's just been kind of festering in us and we posit that perhaps if we want to be fantastical and if we want to merge our fandoms and just enjoy them, that there's arguably a concerted effort between the school and the parents in Matilda's world to determine if children possess magical capabilities, capabilities that muggle parents, for example, may be ill-equipped to handle, aka Crunchum Hall is a feeder school and maybe that literal last push out of Neville Longbottom's window before kids reach that critical 11th birthday, whether or not they'll get that coveted Hogwarts letter. I am still waiting for mine. And Dahl writes, quote, being in this school is like being in a cage with a cobra. You have to be very fast on your feet. And that's because there are magical kids running amok and hitting puberty. Like, so... So let's look at the three kids in these two chapters that we're covering that kind of help arguably give some evidence to this fun tinfoil hat theory. So first we've got allegedly this Julius Rotwinkle and his crime is eating licorice all sorts during scripture lesson. His age is unknown, but at least the kind of cartoon character in the book looks a little bit older and because this is my theory and i want to confirm it let's guess around 10 or 11 say although we don't know for sure and so trunchbull picks him up 
flings him clear out the classroom window on the second level. And the outcome is, sorry, he breaks his bones, landing on a thump in the middle of the lettuces. He's a muggle. Too bad. So sad. Sorry, Julius. May you heal in peace. So we've got one muggle confirmation. What about Witcher Wizardry, Will? And yeah, what about Amanda Thrip, who we act, who actually we actually see, and really, what is her crime but wearing pigtails? Um, she's about ten years old, and what we learn is, and what we see in the story is, Miss Trunchbull grabs her by those pigtails, swings her around and around until she screams "blue murder," which vocab moment means to cry or shout in fear, but or or terror, but not actually being murdered. Good times. <laughs> And she is whipped around so fast that Trunchbull releases her and she went sailing like a rocket right over the wire fence of the playground and high up into the sky before, quote, descending in a long, graceful parabola on the playing field beyond. She landed on the grass and bounced three times and finally came to rest. And then, amazingly, she sat up. Amazing indeed. Amazing. (laughs) Though a bit dazed, within a minute, she was on her feet and fine. And... Sarah, to kind of maybe validate your point, hmm, could be a witch. Yeah. Yeah, this is the moment when your witchy powers might manifest themselves if they haven't already. And so I like your theory. And one of the reasons I've I've always liked your theory, by the way, is geographically, this is fun because the... Gonna do it again. What are you doing? Are you gonna drop some knowledge on us? I love it. This school is probably really close to i mean english england's not a big place but this school is probably close to um where harry potter himself would have grown up not too far away so they're all in the same little area so it's 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 fun to think about and i'll i'll say flo before we get into the next person have you guys shouts to the youtube channel super callan brothers have you guys watched the video is hogwarts real no i'm gonna um, have to send you i don't have link. to watch a video sarah yeah no 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 let me just say dear listeners your minds will be blown there is legitimate like google maps proof i'm not <laughs> going to spoil it for like folks but it's hilariously chillingly brilliantly accurate how they have located literally if hogwarts is real precisely the like water place where it is i'll send it to you we can maybe tweet it out so people yeah. can find it but super shout to super Callan brothers bravo cool. and then uh maybe darker bravo to you know admiral trunchbull who dusts off her hands and says not bad considering i'm not in strict training not bad at all And so this is, you know, right after she flings Amanda and arguably confirms, yes, this young lass is a witch. So could she have been selfishly training for hammer throwing in an abusive manner? Yeah, you bet. But we choose to believe in something a teensy bit brighter, especially because Matilda immediately asks Hortensia if parents complain And Hortensia pragmatically questions whether Matilda's parents would even care at all or believe her because hers certainly wouldn't. And so I'm not going to spoil anything for, you know, when jingle bells are ringing, but it's not out of the realm 
for parents to, for the protection and enjoyment of their own kids, be like, yo, let's have this super secret to make it as safe as possible for our many little demigods to figure out whether or not they belong in Hogwarts. Yeah. Anything further about that before we get to our guy, Brucey Bruce? Man, I love Bruce. Oh, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, Bruce is the man. So Bruce Bogtrotter, what a name, is what a name. I mean, truly, it's perfect. It is great. Uh, his crime, eating cake made with real butter and cream and Ugh. unsanctioned Dudley Dursley impersonations. <laughs> They're both decidedly large, round boys who waddle instead of walk. And I really like them both, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dudley, it took a little while to get warm up to him, but he turned but man, out. Man, did he show up? up. Yeah, yeah, he, he showed he, up. He showed up. We're good. He needed a little Dementor's kiss. Everyone needs a smoochy yeah. smooch every once in a while from a dark a being. We get it. And yeah. it's fine. Uh, the outcome. He is able to consume a large cake. Uh, larger than he is, in fact, which is quite impressive just in yeah. terms of uh, baking prowesses. Uh, and he, he does this in a relatively short amount of time, like the time of an assembly, which we're not really sure how long that is, but not long. Yeah. And he is immune to dishes being shattered over his head. By the way, collective gasp from my entire class when that happened. Aww. It was just like, <gasps> and in the movie too, when we watched the movie and it just breaks over his head and he's all dazed and it's just like, okay yeah intense here's what i love about bruce he thinks about his friends and his family he just wants to bring the cake home to share he's yeah. such a little sweetie just love him um he ends up understanding that he can't take it home and he's like all right gotta do what i gotta do really like show up himself <laughs> yeah he's like a marathon eater that man like i don't know what's going on but he hits his stride he consumes the delicious cake and then, like a burst of magic, he just burps across the entire assembly hall. It's like thunder. Everyone begins to giggle. In the movie, Matilda's like cheering. She's like up on her feet. Go, Bruce, go! Love that part so yeah. much. Uh, so here's the verdict. I'm thinking if we place a sorting hat on this sugar-enriched head of Bruce's, it's going to scream out, Hufflepuff! Hufflepuff! <laughs> Yeah, go Badgers! He deserves to be by the kitchens after this. Oh, oh that's 100%. true. hundred percent. I mean, those house elves, they're keeping a steady supply of chocolate cake coming. Unless yep. he's, like, totally put off by of right. chocolate cake forever. Right, right. And then he can, he's... you know, have a little trickle tart or whatever. Treacle tart. <laughs> a pumpkin pasty. That's right. So I was reading a little bit about the movie uh, and the, the, the scene in the movie. And apparently the actor who plays Bruce Bogtrotter really yeah. disliked chocolate cake oh, so that's like and it took yeah and it took like i don't know i forget what they said something like 30 takes to shoot this and so the kid was just like not happy by the end of it oh. but apparently they brought in like real good cake too for him and he mm. was like not having it so um, so truly they give gave him the bruce bogtrotter experience yes the man the myth the legend we we give the real kid compliments for and, yeah. and he acted his way through it and and i even think the article i saw was like l l took a look at like what he's doing today and he's like an anesthesiologist or something like that hmm. so hey That's sure so yeah and you know totally. what i'm gonna give i'm gonna give this guy a bigger shout because he was a young boy and one of my favorite 
actors, Nick Offerman, who also writes fantastically, he commented regarding his time on Parks and Rec that in like ice cream eating scenes or anytime there was an eating scene, he would always order the smallest thing possible because mm-hmm. so many takes are necessary. Meanwhile, Chris Pratt just kept slamming <laughs> like double cones after double cones. And I won't. So so props to you, Bruce Bogtrotter. And speaking of eating delicious things, Will, is there any tie to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that we should maybe flag here? Because I think at one point in time you had mentioned how this kind of Bruce Bogtrotter character was is kind of paralleled or seen elsewhere. Is that is that memory right? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally think this harkens back to the you know the unfortunate endings of several of the characters in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and mm-hmm. without giving too many spoilers away, that's basically all of them, right? Exactly. Yeah. Background music. Nice. Yeah. So and yeah. So whether it's Augustus Gloop or Veruca Salt or Mike TV. I guess Augustus would be the closest analog because uh-huh. he was a little larger. He also had an unfortunate experience with chocolate, but it, it definitely kind of is reminiscent of of that. But except with, of course, the exception that Bruce being of magical origin uh, finds his way through this. And I was wondering before we move on to our closing segment, Thoughts to Think On, my stepmom actually was born in the uk and was like a nurse in i think oh i don't i don't want to misquote it but she she i think was right around matilda's age actually like we're going to have to talk again about which precise timeline this was and and i spoke with her and she said yeah food was really scarce even years after world war ii right and so i'm wondering if part of and this is purely a hypothesis but if part of some of the critiques that we see in jkr's writing and certainly dull when it comes to obesity has to do with kind of this sentiment that my stepmom said in that she never saw anyone who was overweight because there simply wasn't enough food and so i i wonder and i've seen critiques on rowling's work if there is some kind of latent biases or resentment at the idea of seeing someone so plump at a time when items were so scarce. And frankly, I would have no idea, but for now understanding the better context of this story. Does that resonate with you guys? Do we just leave that as, is that thought? Just thinking out loud. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And one of the, to go back to your stepmom statement, I mean, I I think rationing in England went on at least into the mid 50s or something. So it was well after World War Two. And the and to kind of get to your point about the bias or kind of antipathy against people who are obese the the character that that we just mentioned augustus gloop from charlie and the chocolate factory i I think he's from bavaria in germany right so there's that kind of like double bias there because not only is he 
obese. He's also German. And of course, that also has World War II implications that somebody like Roald Dahl would have been very, very conscious of. So no, you're, I think you're totally on the right track there. Sweet. Well, I think with that, then it's time for us to move to our final segment, Thoughts to Think On. So our thought to think on today is just thinking about our youngest members of our society fighting the good fight, the kids picking up the mantle and doing what needs to be done because nobody else is going to do it for them. (laughs) Yeah, so this is actually something that I preach a lot in my own classroom. Um, I teach my kids that they've got a lot of power, even though they're only six and seven. And I let them take the reins on a lot of bigger projects and wonder about bigger things than just them. We definitely talk about it a lot during election season and we talk about using our voices for good. But even just around our own school, we do a lot um, where the kids are fighting the good fight. For example, every year, or at least for the past three years since I built the unit, I teach about inclusion. And one of the things that we talk about is blindness. And we talk about how we can include friends who might be blind or have a hard time seeing. And so we talk about Braille. And a couple years ago, my class was really into Braille. And so we went around our classroom and we saw all of the signs that were in Braille, like, you know, the restroom sign, the exit sign. And so they got to feel it. And they each got a little Braille alphabet and they wrote their name in Braille with puffy paint. And it was great. And then one day, um, one of my students, I'm going to shout her out, Sienna, if you're listening. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> Sienna um, came up to me and she said, Mrs. Siegel, this sign is misspelled at school. <gasps> nice. So wow. she and a couple of her friends had actually pulled out their little alphabet I had given them at recess. I have goosebumps. I, have I know. Goosebumps. It was so great. Oh, and this they were is like, amazing. This is not the right spelling for this. And I was like, okay, like, what can we do about this? And they, we brainstormed as a class what we could do. And we, we triple checked it. We looked online. We did lots of different things for it. And finally, the kids drafted a letter to our head of our like operations and maintenance, along with our head of school, who, who was like a big deal for them. Like, can you hear the pounding of the drums? <laughs> I know, right? As a French person, I'm just so proud of them. <laughs> they like really <laughs> took the ramparts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they wrote a letter to our head of school, and he's a K- I, I'm in a K-12 school. So he's right. like the major head. Like he's a huge deal. The kids mm-hmm. like really don't see him that much. So they drafted this. We talked about business letters, and they drafted this like semi-business letter. And our operations head actually like took it upon himself to call the company that made the Braille signs and get an explanation. So it turns out Braille has some shorthand that was being used that the kids couldn't have known about. But it was still so great to see them take lead on that, Um, which was great. Another year, my kids took the lead on collecting supplies after Hurricane Harvey they collected tons of supplies and gift cards and sent a bunch of things to a school in Texas that was totally on them. They made every sign for it. I was super pregnant at the time, so I was not involved as heavily <laughs> as I would have been, but they like made collection bins and they drafted emails and it was just really great. And they're six. So if six-year-olds can do it, anybody can do it. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to share those couple examples of kids fighting the good fight. And if you're listening... And you are young, 
You can fight any fight that you choose to fight. Go for it. Go seek some help. We can help you. Email us yeah. at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. No, literally, honestly, guys, we need good news. Yes, we, we do. If you, if you have small acts of courage from friends, from yourself, like let's highlight humanity's strengths and like saber and wands up super, super high. Totally. Anything else we want to add before we do the sign off? Because I kind of like leaving it on a positive note like that. Will's You're welcome for my yeah. brilliant children. No, that's great. Those stories are awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I've got a lot of well, them. I think, frankly, folks, let's leave on a high note. And until next time, keep geeking out with us on Instagram, Bohemian Geek Studies, on Twitter with at Geek Studies, and Flo dropped that email for you. So hit us up. Thanks so much. Wands up and keep those pages turning.